You're listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Jackie Neinheis, registered dietitian and professor of culinary medicine. And I am your co-host, Brooke Fredrickson, registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And we are here to challenge a culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective. It's so good to be here. I'm glad to be able to um, visit with each one of you. And I'm Jackie, your host with um, Brooke, also our host. And we're going to talk today about a subject that affects 37.3 million adults, and that's diabetes. So 28.7 million are people are diagnosed with Um, diabetes. But what's really interesting is that 8.5 million more are undiagnosed. And when you look at different age groups, like 65 and older, it's like there are 20, like 30% have diabetes. That means 65 and older people, if you have three individuals, in theory, one of them would have diabetes. So it affects everyone because we either know somebody with diabetes, we have somebody in our family with diabetes, have diabetes ourselves. Um, So the fact that it's diagnosed in many cases, but also it looks like almost um, a fourth of the cases are not diagnosed is a huge issue. Brooke, I just want to ask you, what do you think is the reason that we have so many undiagnosed cases of diabetes? And if it's not diagnosed, does that mean we don't have it? My guess is because there's typically not a lot of symptoms, especially with type 2 diabetes. Um, so just to maybe explain if people don't know, there's there's multiple types of diabetes out there. The main two are going to be type 1 and type 2. Type one used to be known as the childhood diabetes. Um, it's it's an autoimmune disease. So with type one, your body actually attacks your beta cells in your pancreas, which produce your insulin. Um, and so those those beta cells quit working. And so you're no longer producing insulin. You have to be on insulin shots right away. That typically happens in people under the age of 30. Um, but type two diabetes used to be called on, adult onset diabetes, but now it is um, it can happen at any age. We're seeing it in younger and younger people all the time. Uh, but how type two diabetes works is it, um, it has this component called insulin resistance, where our body is still making enough insulin. And in fact, sometimes it's making too much insulin, but our body isn't utilizing it the way it's supposed to. The insulin and the sugar are supposed to connect in the body. Um, for it to be used, pulled into your muscle cells and used, but because the insulin and the sugar aren't connecting, all that sugar stays in your bloodstream, um, causing those elevated blood sugars. And so type 2 diabetes typically doesn't have a lot of symptoms. Um, In fact, um, it's not until your blood sugar gets really high that you might start losing weight um, and notice some of the symptoms of type 2 diabetes. So I think that's probably one of the main concerns or one of the main reasons why there's so many undiagnosed ones out there. Um, There's also a new category, you know, that they've uh, made known in the last few years called pre-diabetes. And I think there's even more people who fall into that category where their blood sugar is elevated. Some, they do have that insulin resistance component, but it's not high enough to the point where they can be truly diagnosed with diabetes yet. And I think, um, you know, that includes millions of other Americans as well. So it's definitely... Uh, a very common issue and a growing issue 
and I guess we can, I don't know if we want to talk about what, what some of the risk factors are or how does someone develop type two diabetes? Is, is sugar the cause? Is food the cause? What do you think? You know, that's a really good question as to what causes diabetes. And I think that if uh, scientists knew that, we would be much closer to a cure than we are today. But we have a whole body of evidence showing that if you maintain a good weight, exercise regularly, and have several lifestyle factors such as not smoking and um, keep the heart disease risk factors low, that those all are going to help us. The other thing is it looks like genetics plays a huge part in it because there are some families that actually have extra weight on them or sedentary and do not get diabetes. Whereas other families, the diabetes runs, seems to run in the family. So I think it's pretty well known that there's a genetic factor there. With type one diabetes, it's definitely um, seen as a genetic factor. Is that how you understand it, Brooke? Uh, yeah, there is a genetic component with type one. Um, typically it comes through the father's side, but if you have a, if you have a, in general autoimmune diseases that run in your family, that's gonna increase your risk um, for type one, yeah. And type two, I, I agree that there's a huge genetic factor. Um, there's lots of families where almost everyone has diabetes. Um, you know, some of that could be environmental. Some of it could be how they're brought up, you know, if they have similar um, lifestyle choices or not. Um, but, but genetics is a thing, um, you know, and you, you mentioned weight as being one of the risk factors. Um, that is one of the risk factors. You know, people in higher weights are higher risk for type two diabetes. We know that, but there are people who are at what would be considered normal or healthy weights who get type two diabetes as well. So we can't, we can't specifically say it's a disease of, you know, having a higher weight because I've counseled many people who have a BMI, you know, between 20 and 25 who have been diagnosed with type two diabetes as well. So there's, there's multiple factors that lead to diabetes. There's actually eight different um, organ system, like failures in your body that all have to occur in order to be diagnosed with type two diabetes. And so it is very complex and it's not as simple as saying, you know, someone ate too much sugar and therefore they caused their diabetes. Now, does sugar play a role in it? It can. Um, if you're someone who is eating a lot of really highly processed, highly sugary foods, maybe you're an avid pop drinker every day, um, over the course of the years, I, that could lead to some kind of insulin resistance. It could lead to that um, higher weight, which would put you at higher risk for it. I think if you're genetically predisposed, it's even going to, you know, give a higher risk for that. Um, but eating sugar itself does not cause diabetes. Eating sugar itself within a balanced eating plan does not cause diabetes. It would have to be above and beyond what your body needs or what your body can handle um, in order for it to be a problem. So I, I think that does sugar cause diabetes is kind of nuanced um, and maybe a common misunderstanding or misconception. But Jackie, do you have any thoughts on that? One thing that is very interesting about diabetes is it's not just the disease of diabetes itself, but diabetes is a risk factor then for heart disease. And so um, when we look at this as a, as a, just a sugar issue, well, we forget that there's all these other factors involved because if it's a risk factor for heart disease, then that involves other macronutrients too. Yeah, they're all connected. 
Um, type 2 diabetes kind of falls in the category of metabolic disease, which um, heart disease uh, also falls into that category as well. So people who are at higher risk for those metabolic diseases tend to have multiple of them, right? Hypertension um, is included in there, high cholesterol is included, um, <clears throat> and diabetes um, as well. So another thing that we find is that more and more children in the past, children might be diagnosed with a type 1 diabetes, but now more and more children are being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And so it's really interesting to look at, okay, what has changed? Because genetics really doesn't change in, the, in one or two generations. So there hasn't been a huge genetic change, but there has been a huge change in the size of children. So I don't know... Um, how you address that? Like, is that, you know, environmental? Is it um, a lack of, uh, you know, education for parents as to, you know, the kinds of foods they're giving children? You know, what is causing children to be there? There is a whole, I'd call it a conspiracy theory that um, it's hormones in, in meat that is causing That's our children true. to be much larger than what they are today. So, um, it's just, you know, interesting because there are a lot of different theories of why children are big. And I just heard the other day, some children that were larger in size, not necessarily um, overweight, but just large in size. And oh somebody said, oh, it's the hormones in meat. And oh so I just think it's really interesting to think of all the different reasons of why is it that we have even more children with diabetes, we have more teenagers with diabetes, we have more children, uh, teenagers with um, uh, PSCS, PCS, help me PCOS, out. PCOS, polycystic yes. ovarian syndrome, yep. Yeah, and that's connected with kind of like a, a little yep. bit of diabetes in the future. Yeah, it has, um, it has that insulin resistance component. Um, you know, and when it comes to kids getting type two diabetes, I think a lot of it has to do with the food environment. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with, um, you know, maybe having a lot of high sugar, high processed foods that kids are eating all the time, not getting enough exercise. I think there's the behavioral component of overeating or binging, or, you know, we, we've talked about that in the past kids that are, that are larger, um, bodied when they're younger, uh, food insecurity is a big part of that. And so it can be the type of food, it can be the amount of food, it can be the timing of food. Um, I think <clears throat> there's so many factors. Kids, kids get more screen time these days than they used to. There's not enough activity. And when we, when we look at type 2 diabetes, um, and when we look at the research, the number one, the most effective way to improve your insulin resistance, to make the insulin in your body work better, is exercise. Um, Eating, like foods do not improve our insulin resistance, but exercise does. Exercise makes that insulin in our body more sensitive. And so our body can utilize it no matter what we're eating. And so the key to prevent type two diabetes is to get plenty of exercise. That's gonna be in, in children, in teenagers and adults. And so I would say if anyone does have high risk factors for type two diabetes, if you've been in that, in that um, or been diagnosed or categorized as that, the number one thing that you can do is get out and get some exercise. Oh, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I'm going to go back to one of your other points about food insecurity. It's kind of interesting to think about how food insecurity can actually dispose a child 
towards something like diabetes. And let me give you an example. Like if there's a child who has been put on a diet, who has uh, food restrictions, or even hears a lot about food restrictions in a home, they may start hoarding candy. Like they may take their candy and hide it under their mattress, hide it under their bed. They might hide it in a drawer. And I know parents have come to me and said, I have a three-year-old and they have this entire drawer just filled with all kinds of food and candy. And um, only reason I can think that a child would hoard food is because there's some type of restriction making him feel like that child can't have food out in the open. So what, for whatever reason, if they're hoarding food, I would say there's some kind of food insecurity there. And then hoarding that food, if they're, it's probably making them eat more. They have access to it all, access to it all the time because it's there. So think of eating tons and tons and tons of all this different kinds of food and what that's going to do to their body weight, what that kind of does to their, their lifestyle, they're more likely to hide that they're eating, more likely to want to stay in the area of wherever they're hoarding that food, and less likely to get out and do exercise. So all the different risk factors combined could lead to diabetes. So we think of food insecurity as not having enough food. How can that lead to diabetes? Well, it definitely could. Just as much as if I know one house I went into, uh, the, it was court ordered that they, uh, the mother and the children see a dietitian because there were definitely some issues there. And the mother would bring home the groceries, just set them on the table, and it was a free-for-all. And you know they ate from the grocery bags until the food was gone. So, I mean, if one day... The first day home from the grocery store, it was a huge bag of Cheetos. Well, that's what the children had all day. And the next day, it was another huge bag of, of crackers. And the next day, it was a huge bag of something else. So you can have two different environments, very different, one restrictive, one not restrictive, both leading towards a disposition towards diabetes. Well, right. And so, you know, going back to parents' responsibility with feeding their children, there does need to be some structure around meals and snacks um, for kids for that reason. The other reason why food insecurity can lead to such, you know, issues like you were talking, Jackie, is because a lot of the foods that they deem affordable um, that are easy to maybe cook if a mom, you know, it's a single mom working, um, you know, multiple jobs or something like that, it's it's high, it's highly processed carbohydrate foods. Like you said, the, the cereals and the Cheetos and the chips and the crackers, those things do not stay in our stomach very long. They are not very satisfying. And when you eat that all the time and you don't have the balance of uh, the healthy fats and the fiber and the protein, um, you're going to be hungry all the time. And so those kids tend to eat all the time because they're feeling hungry all the time because of the foods that they're eating. And so that's where I meant, you know, that's where we say that food environment does play a role in this. It can play a role in the development of type 2 diabetes, depending on what you're feeding yourself, because those kind of behaviors will lead to um, that insulin resistance long term.
And I also think when a child is eating large amounts of these foods that don't stay in their stomach very long, they're also eating it faster because they might be eating it by the handfuls if they're just eating it from the bag. If they're eating it by handfuls, they're not going to be, they're going to be eating fast enough that they outpace any hormone receptors to tell them that they're full. And so pretty soon they're overriding all of their um, body's notices to them to stop eating because they're eating. And so it's kind of interesting that we have found it more healthful for um, families to sit down and eat at a table. For one thing, it slightly slows you down. If you eat with a fork, you're going to put less in your mouth possibly than if you eat by the handfuls out of a bag. Um, if you put food on a plate, you can kind of see how much food you're putting on the plate and say, oh, that's an adequate amount. Whereas if you're eating from a bag, you could almost eat that entire bag before you realize, oh my, look how much I've eaten. So it's kind of interesting. Like in some instances, there's nothing wrong with eating um, a picnic or a meal where, you know, you're just in between ball games and you need something to eat before the meat or the ball game or whatever it is. And so you're eating on the run. I mean, there are times we all have to do that. But for the most part, it's, it's a lot more to eat, easier to eat intuitively when you're sitting at a table with a plate, with a fork, with a spoon. So that's mm -hmm. a part of the food environment too. Mm -hmm. Yep. It all plays a role in that. So what are your thoughts on um, blood sugars? Should people who don't have diabetes um, be worried about managing their blood sugars? I think there's a lot of talk about that in um, certain circles about controlling blood sugars, preventing blood sugar crashes. Um, what are your thoughts, Jackie, for people who maybe don't have diabetes um, but should they be eating or living in a certain way to control blood sugars? Well, I think it's definitely kind of interesting uh, to think about athletes and to think about their um, blood sugar levels, because if they're going to go out and run five miles, say, they probably need a source of, I'd say complex carbohydrates would be the best before like a couple hours or so before the race. And then maybe during the race, if it's longer than a 10K for sure, but a 10K or longer, they probably might need some sources of glucose. And of course, someone always markets these things and there's, there's all kinds you can buy like that. But you can also use simple things like honey. You can use um, just about anything that is, has glucose in it to be able to pick you up during an athletic performance. Now, um, so I think athletes um, have a reason to try to keep their blood sugars up. And I don't think they need to test it. You can start feeling, you can start feeling when you need it. And sometimes if, if you're a athlete who kind of knows your own body, you'll say, okay, I'm gonna have to have a source of protein and carbohydrate a few hours before the event, I'm going to have to have a little bit in the meantime. You know, other than that, I can't think of too many reasons that we need to keep close tabs on it unless you're restricting foods. 
if you're restricting foods, you are going to definitely run out of glucose because that seems to be one of the big foods people are restricting. Right. And in a normal person, I shouldn't say normal person, any person who doesn't have diabetes or who doesn't have insulin resistance, typically they shouldn't have to worry too much about their blood sugar because their body has the mechanisms built in place to manage it. Like when I eat carbohydrate, my body produces insulin to keep my blood sugars controlled, right? Um, when my, you know, maybe if I don't eat enough carbohydrate or if my blood sugar starts to drop, my body will actually, you know, stimulate my liver to break down more stored glycogen and push it out into my bloodstream to keep my blood sugar up. So like someone who doesn't have any issues with insulin resistance or type two diabetes shouldn't have to worry at all about their blood sugars. That's what your body is designed to do. It's designed to keep your blood sugars within a specific range. Um, but the people who do have, right, those tendencies, maybe they do have pre-diabetes or they're at risk for, you know, type two diabetes or something, um, they do need to keep a little more of a check because their body's metabolism and their, their insulin glucagon hormones aren't working the way that they're supposed to. And so they are going to have issues with that. Diabetes is such a scary disease, especially for, um, children, because as children are growing, um, you really, it's hard to restrict it's hard to um, get a nutritious diet and still try to restrict. And the main thing I hear different messages, even from physicians about diabetes is restricting carbohydrates. So some people get the idea if I restrict carbohydrates, when I have normal blood sugar and do not have a problem with diabetes, I won't get diabetes. Well, you can eat all the protein in the world, be on a keto diet and still end up with diabetes. So um, that is a really hard issue. And it's a hard thing to share with people that it is still in this day and age important to have a balanced diet of the different macronutrients like um, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats in the diet. Yeah, well, and... I mean, talking about carbohydrates, I think we'll do a whole podcast on carbs um, specifically, but, um, you know, in general, when I work with people with diabetes, carbohydrates uh, serve a purpose, right? They are fuel for our body. They provide fiber. They provide a lot of the nutrients because carbs come from uh, the grains, the starches, the fruits, the dairy, like that's where we get carbohydrate from. And they're, they're important part of a balanced diet, but um they do benefit from having lower amounts of them, right? We shouldn't. And, and this is where I struggle because there's so much push out there for, um, you know, vegan diets and people should be, people with diabetes should be on vegan diets, which is like primarily carbohydrate. Um, <clears throat> but we do know that carbohydrate is the component in food that does transition to glucose in our blood and does raise your blood sugars. And if people, you know, have maybe 30 grams of carbohydrate per meal versus 60 grams of carbohydrate per meal, they are going to see a benefit um, in blood sugars that way. But again, like you said, Jackie, I think it's important to balance. I think people with type two diabetes benefit from protein in their diet. They benefit from fat in their diet. They benefit from fiber. And so finding a way to balance all of those things is really important, um, for managing diabetes. Um, one last thing I wanted to talk about in this is, is, is diabetes preventable, Jackie? Is type two diabetes preventable? You know, that's what a do you really think? good question. I'll tell you, there are many people who are on super restrictive diets. And I think of Dean Ornish 
where um, he ate such an incredibly low, low fat diet. And I do think heart disease is, could be um, preventable. And he was trying to prove that, except that he ended up dying of a heart attack. Okay, so I wanna use that example with diabetes. Like there could be a person who does every single thing mm -hmm. right and they mm -hmm. still end up with diabetes. Now, are there some cases where it are very active and lead a very healthy lifestyle and all their family has diabetes? There is the possibility that it will skip them, but that's not a guarantee. Right. Yeah, I agree. I would say in general, type 2 diabetes is preventable, um, but there are way too many factors involved to say that it's 100% preventable. Um, I do think, like I said, exercise is the key to insulin resistance. So um, staying active is your best bet to avoid it. And I would say um, that's going to decrease your risk the most, um, followed by eating a balanced diet, right? And not going overboard on um, anything, really. We don't want to overeat on anything. Any, any overeating is going to cause um, um, some blood sugar uh, or insulin hormone issues in our body. So um, is it preventable? It can be not hundred percent. I agree with that, Jackie. You know, it's really interesting when you look at the rates of diabetes throughout the world and um, the U.S. has a, a very high rate in most of the countries, developed countries do have higher rates. But there's also countries like India, there's countries like um, Algeria that are fairly, I guess, I guess Algeria is, is low. I'm looking at a list of all the different countries and the prevalence of, of diabetes. And you also see a different a prevalence in different cultures. African Americans have a really high rate of diabetes. And I think that um, some of the Native American tribes have a high rate of diabetes. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, yep. I think that definitely shows that culture and genetics, possibly the environment mm -hmm. of those groups yep. do yep. have a factor too. So what do you think we said type two could be prevented? What about type one? That's not possible. Um, autoimmune disease is probably one of the things in our culture that, um, in our current medical system that doctors know the least amount <laughs> about. Um, there, no one can kind of figure out why your body attacks itself. I think, again, there's so many factors. There's environmental factors that go into place. Stress is a big role. Um, there can be a genetic component. Um, I don't think autoimmune disease has anything to do with food personally. But yeah, auto, it, it comes out of nowhere. I don't think there's any rhyme or reason to it. Um, it just is kind of like the perfect storm that occurs. And unfortunately, yeah, we, we don't know what causes it. So you know, I hate when people with type diet one diabetes goes to the doctor and the doctor tries to, the physicians try to um, put them on some kind of diet like this is going to cure their diabetes or the cause of their diabetes was this. I know we had a research study where we had type one diabetics and type two diabetics. And the researchers were trying to put everyone on a vegan diet. And our type one diabetics were crying. These are adults. First of all, these are adults who have dealt with type one for years. And they're in tears because they said, 
I can't possibly do a vegan diet. It is, it, it isn't working with my um, levels of insulin and the medications and everything. So what yeah. do you think about a type one diabetic trying a vegan diet? It's hard. Um, they, they would just need a lot more insulin. I think you're going to see a lot more um, blood sugar swings because of the high amount of carbohydrate in the diet. Um, it's the protein and fat that help to kind of stabilize those blood sugars. And so if it's, you're going to have to eat more often and probably give yourself more insulin if you're going to be on a vegan diet. Um, is it possible? Sure it is. I actually think there's a ton. People who have type one diabetes have way more flexibility um, in their eating than people with type two diabetes. Because all they have to do is count the amount of carbohydrates they're eating and give an insulin dose based on that. Type 2 diabetes doesn't work that way. Um, most of them are not on insulin. Um, they take oral medications or, you know, try to try to control it with lifestyle factors. And so they actually have to keep a, a closer eye on their diet. But It's so interesting that the U.S. has such a high... Uh, percentage of diabetics compared to some of the other countries of the world. And so when you were talking about some of the factors like that could be affecting like the stress, um, our environment, it's got to be, it's mm -hmm. got to be something there that makes a difference. And I think researchers are going to be working on that. And hopefully we're going to be uncovering more and more about diabetes and how to prevent it. I think a lot of it has to do with our food environment. We just have we just have so much food available to us, um, very high ultra processed um, palatable foods, um, and the people who eat those do tend to be the higher risk for diabetes. So you know, getting back to more of a whole foods diet um, and getting regular exercise is really your best bet. So, yeah. And we'll talk more about those, those whole grain yeah. foods and the carbs, and that'll uh, be in our next podcast. And we sure hope that you will join us um, to listen to that. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. We would love to have you leave a review or comment on our Instagram page. It's been great to share this time with you. And we pray that you have a grace-filled day.